0: Hey, good morning. Good to see you all. If you're here in this space, glad you're here. If you're online, we're glad you're here as well. Uh, And I'm excited. We're going to jump right into this new series that we're calling Conflict Resolution. And thank you, Pastor Heather, for introing me with. Five seconds of an intro. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, when you hear conflict resolution, you know, you uh, probably your thoughts go to things like external conflicts, like the vax versus no vax conflict that we experienced last year, or the, uh, or a different flavor, but kind of the same thing, the mask versus no mask conflict, or other conflicts that we see are between liberals and conservatives, or Republicans and Democrats. and even sadly, most recently, when we hear the word conflict, we think of the life and death conflict that we just prayed about in Ukraine with the invasion. A few years ago, we did a series that we call Conflict Revolution, and when Pastor Jeff and I were talking in the hallway a few days ago, we were saying, wait, didn't we just do this series? But conf- conf- excuse me, Conflict Revolution was how we handle conflict. How we deal with those people that we see and those external things that happen to us. And when we deal with them well, we get to shine the light of Jesus into our world. But in this series, conflict resolution, (laughs) the conflict and the struggle is the conflict and struggle that we have from within. And how incompatible or opposing worldviews that can be inside of each of us, can bring havoc to our hearts and our lives. And kind of as I was thinking about the series, I was reminded of something that Paul wrote to Romans, and it's going to be up on the screen. He said, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. I want to do what's right, Paul said, but I don't. Is that relatable? Right? I got a bunch of amens here in the room, and I'm sure online there were as well. Right, I don't want to respond in that way, but I do. There's this conflict that's within, that there's these opposing views between our heart and our head that there's this incompatibility that there's this world or kingdom that I live in right our relationships and our jobs and our chores and our responsibilities and then there's also inflation and war and pandemic that's all part of this world that we live in but there's also God's kingdom and when we pray the Lord's Prayer we pray that that it would be here as it is in heaven that we want God's kingdom. Here that we recognize that we live in these two worlds, but we want them to be one world. We want to see conflict that's inside of us resolved. I describe it as a Sunday versus Monday experience, that on Sunday I sing songs, on Sunday I make promises, on Sunday I even make declarations. But then Monday comes, and I'm not even out of my development before someone on the road annoys me. See, you can relate, right? Or something is seen on social media, or someone says something to me, and my response is far different than Sunday. You see, Monday living interferes with our Sunday life. But it is possible for our Sunday world and our Monday world to be compatible. That Jesus, through his death and resurrection, offers a resolution to this conflict. And this is a good news series. We're going to follow this series all the way through Easter and the week beyond that it's possible for God's kingdom to reign on earth. It's possible for God's kingdom to reign in my heart and in my life, not only on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, and through the rest of the week. See, we pray your kingdom come, right? We pray your will be done, that it can be possible. That's what we're praying, that God's ways can be apparent in the way I live my life, in the way that I'm at work and at school, and that God's ways can be seen in my life in this world. Uh, so uh, I, you know, we just finished this last series where we were looking at John, some things that John Wesley believed and thought. And he's the founder of the Methodist Church. And I found this. It was kind of an extra piece that we didn't use in our series. But then I realized how it connected so well to this series. Uh, he had come to believe in Jesus. He believed the good news of who Jesus was. He believed that we could be justified By faith alone, that we could just believe in Jesus and we could be right in God's sight. He believed that. But Wesley shared that his head believed it. And he said he wasn't feeling it in his heart. Remember, a few weeks ago, I talked about the head and the heart. He said that he was concerned. He had been preaching about something that he said he didn't feel here. Wesley's friend gave him a single sentence of advice. It's recorded that Wesley said to his friend Jim uh, Peter Bowler, he said, "I see it clearly that my head I see it clearly with my head, but I do not feel it." And so then he said, I'd better stop preaching until I feel it. His friend Peter responded, do not stop preaching. Keep preaching it and go on preaching it until you feel it. So like Wesley, let's see if we can believe it until we feel it. Let's use this series so that what we sing on Sunday, we can live on Monday. And so, really, today's message is quite simple. I want to introduce this series and launch us through this series and also offer us a challenge that we would choose to lean further toward God's kingdom, that would lean further towards Jesus, and that we would allow Him to begin healing the conflict that might be within. So, we're going to jump right into the series. We're using uh, uh, John's gospel as we share the story of Jesus moving into Jerusalem and through the, his death and resurrection. And in, in, in John's story, if you may have noted that in the first 11 chapters, John shares the whole three years of Jesus' Jesus's experience. Three years in 11 chapters. And then he spends the rest of the gospel, the rest of his writing, talking about one week in Jesus' life. It seems to me John was letting us know how important that week would be to each of us. So Jesus is in Bethany. He's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. He's there having dinner, and the scripture says this. It's up on the screen. Six days before the Passover celebration began... Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead that we just sang about. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, that's what Martha always does. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. This is John's way of letting everyone know Lazarus really is alive. He even ate with them. John continues and says, Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance so we got Martha serving, we got Lazarus who is there and grateful, I'm sure grateful because he's recently been resurrected. All of us, as we just sang, are grateful that we've been resurrected. See, see how we sing on Sunday? We declare on Sunday Mary is there. She's the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and she's present. And we're going to find out that some some disciples are there as well. And Mary, during dinner, chooses to pour oil on Jesus' feet. And John tells us that it's essence of nard. That doesn't mean anything to us necessarily in the 21st century, but in the 1st century, that is translated expensive. We're going to find out that it's worth a year's salary. And she's wiping his feet with her hair. This is a first century scandal. This woman has undone her hair from its braid and is now using it to wipe the feet of Jesus, to take this expensive Perfume and rub it into his feet her hair is down and it is completely inappropriate and this is a moment of unbridled affection and love and it is extravagant far more than necessary just pause for a minute I want you to think about your annual salary. And now I want you to imagine buying something for that amount and then pouring it out. It's extravagant, it's more than anyone would expect. It's this precious, humble, and generous act of love. And it begs the question, why would Mary do this? I've come up with three possible explanations. There, I'm sure there are more. The first would be that maybe Mary was doing this as an act of gratitude. I mean, she loved her brother. And her brother has recently been resurrected. It's in the chapter right before And she's just grateful for all that Jesus has done to her family. And she offers this extravagant, over-the-top gift of gratitude. Or maybe this is even more personal for Mary. Maybe Mary has been forgiven by Jesus. There's some who suggest that this Mary is a Mary in another gospel who had been forgiven by Jesus in another scene. And it's possible that Mary then is offering this as a gift of gratitude. But there's also this possibility. What if Mary understands why Jesus was headed to Jerusalem? What if Mary... She's the astute one, remember? She's the one that's at the feet of Jesus. She's the one that always seems to be aware of what Jesus is doing and what's going on. And what if she has this way of knowing that Jesus would be broken and poured out shortly? Because Jesus does say she's doing this as an anointing. So we've got Mary in this moment this humble, generous act of love. And we've also got Judas in the room. So Judas, John tells us, the disciple who would soon betray him, again, John lets us know who everybody is in the story. Judas said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold And the money given to the poor. Now Mary and maybe even the others in the room are operating from the heart. And Judas seems to be operating from the head. You know, we all do that. We all move between heart and head, right? We see something on the news. We read something. Someone tells us a story and we say oh, my heart goes out to them, right? Our heart is in operation at that moment. And then when we think, oh, well, I could do something. I want to do something. Oh, it'll cost a year's salary, and my head comes into play, right? So we're, we move between our heart and our head, these two conflicting worldviews, this Sunday versus Monday idea. And John lets us know that Judas didn't care about the poor. You can read that in the next verse He even calls Judas a thief in that next verse. Judas is not concerned about that. Judas is just angry. Judas is just operating from a different worldview. And he thinks Mary is being wasteful. Can you sense the tension? Can you feel the conflict? Mary's act doesn't make sense to Judas. And it's wasteful, and it's scandalous, and it's costly. And Judas is choosing to live another way and he says what she's doing is wrong because there's a way to operate in this world and it's not that way it's this way and then there's this sentence I imagine that, this is just me, I haven't found this anywhere, I, I, this is just Rick's standard version, all right, but I want to imagine that when John was writing this chapter, as he's recording this event, that he's writing all that's just happened, and then he has this moment of memory, and then he writes these words, it's up on the screen, the house was filled with the fragrance. You see, because scent is powerful, right? Baked bread. You walk into the house to chocolate chip cookies, right? Yeah. You know, I I don't know what you're doing online, but here there's a lot of mmms happening right now, right? Uh, Soon we'll be smelling fresh cut grass. Even the smell of a skunk brings to mind a response right? Do you see how powerful scent is? It's powerful. It's uh, those who lose their sense of scent. It says that they also lose emotional richness in their lives. And over time, if scent is not recovered, there is a loss of emotional intensity towards life. That's how strong scent is to our lives. And so I imagine as John was writing about Mary's act of humility, that as it made the room smell, he wrote, ah, it filled every corner, it filled every space. That Mary's act of love changed the atmosphere that the smell of worship fell on everyone in the room, even those who opposed it. See, Judas may not have liked or appreciated the act, but he couldn't help but smell it all over himself. As the smell filled the room, Judas couldn't stop it. And you know, in our world today, Loud and brash and angry equals right. And louder and angrier seems to mean more rightness. And Sunday seems to not work on Monday. And it might seem the only way is to fight back, and the only way to get ahead is more volume and more anger, more Monday and less Sunday. But in a small room, surrounded by conflict of the most bitter kind, while a betrayer and a plotter, was gathered with friends, Mary showed another way. She had discovered another kingdom. Another way that did not start with the logic of the mind, but began with love from the heart. Another way, what may seem as an unlikely way, what may seem as a softer way, a humbler way, a more generous way, a, even a counterintuitive way that Mary was choosing to go against Monday's way of thinking and leaning into Sunday's way of living. And it begs the question, can I live out love in my work life? Should I live out love In my work life. How can I live out love? How can I live out humble faith in a violent and heated culture? And like Wesley, I would suggest the challenge for us is to do it until we believe it. To believe it is possible to change the atmosphere. And for the sweet smell to linger in the air. I imagine Judas smelled that perfume throughout the night. I imagine every time he ruffled his clothing, it wafted up into his nostrils again. Every time he moved, the scent reappearing reminding him there was another way. And so the question for us is, which way is your heart leaning? What if you and I were to lean in a little bit further, leaning toward the kingdom of God, the kingdom of sacrifice, the kingdom of the heart? And like Mary, we the church We're to be a community of people who offer our gifts. And maybe even we can stink up the room a little bit. (laughs) And maybe we could change the atmosphere like a sweet-smelling perfume, bringing the kingdom of God and the way of God into our world, believing it's possible even if we don't believe it yet. So let's have this Easter season be a time when Jesus resolves the conflict within our heart heart and our minds. That we would be of one mind leaning toward the one kingdom of heaven and God's ways. And as we journey with Jesus towards this cross, towards the cross and resurrection this season, let his sacrifice and power over death be a victory for us, that we would be able to crucify our Monday way of living and that we choose to live a Sunday way of life. And may we pour out our gifts of love onto a violent and angry world. And may that sweet smell change the world around us. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? If you're here in this space, if you're online, if you would join us as we pray together. And so God, I thank you for this time. I thank you, God, for the way that we have had opportunity to worship you in all of our spaces. And God, I pray that the songs that we sing and the words that we declare on Sunday would be the way that we could live on Monday. And so God, help us and cure us of our divided hearts. God, help us and bring resolution to areas where we struggle to live a Sunday way of life in a Monday world. And God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for resurrection. That God, like Lazarus, we have been raised. And God, that will be our declaration. And now I pray that as you go, you would go knowing that there's a God who loves you with his whole heart. That he loves you enough that he would rather die than live without you. And that there's a world out there that is desperate to know of that great love.